This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. How many are glad for the holiday season? Amen. <clears throat> I'll tell you what, every year I feel like we're coming in the home stretch. We're coming to the finish line for this one, for the starting line for the next one. We want to finish this one strong. I want to start the next one strong. And there's no better way to do that than being in church, hearing the Word of God, fellowshiping with Christians, and being around the family of God. Amen? Uh, you know, in my family, the family I have in California, everybody's saved, everybody's Christian, so we don't really have goofy times of Thanksgiving. But I remember too many times in the past, back in Indiana, when I was around different people that weren't Christians, Thanksgiving times was kind of tough times sometimes, because everybody wasn't thankful to God. They did other things. That was kind of tough, but... How, how many appreciate being around the family of God to get refreshed again and blessed again? Amen, amen, amen. Well, how, how many uh, have a sermon outline? How many need a sermon outline? If you need an outline, hold up your hand and the ushers give you an outline. Amen. Hold up your hands. Keep your hands up. They'll be glad to get an outline to your hand. And you notice the message today is who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? <coughs> who is Jesus? And this is going to be enlightening to you for the Word of God, but I want to show you a couple books out of the bookstore that will help you with this and remind you that this is 20% off all the books in the bookstore for the Christmas season. So if, this, so if you need some stocking stuffers, those little mini books back there, it's a good time to get them. If you need big books you've been thinking about getting and didn't want to shuck out the money for it yet, then we have lots of good books back there, 20% off. But this one here is a really good book by Brother Hagen. The name of Jesus, the name of Jesus, and it really goes into great detail about the power that's in that name, all the blessings in that name, and so much about the name of Jesus. And here's, here's a book that's one of my favorite books on healing called Christ the Healer. Christ the Healer, that book's really been around a long time now. Back in 1983, 84, when I went to Bible school, that was our, that was our textbook on the healing class in Bible school. That I know when Pastor Dave and Katie went to Rama, that's the textbook out of Rama for for the healing classes. This book, matter of fact, we taught a healing school back in Indiana for years out of this book. It's a really excellent book. has lots of good lots of good uh, viewpoints on healing from there from the Word of God. Lots of different directions looking at it and helping you understand divine healing and how this works. But anyway, that book there at twenty percent off is really a bargain, and that book will really help you. A lot of great men and women of the world have been influenced by that book for years. And so that's really an excellent book about Jesus, the healer. How many know that Jesus is not only Savior, but he is healer? I want to say it again. How many know that Jesus is not only Savior, but he's healer? And a lot of us can testify to that. And matter of fact, one chapter he teaches there that I've taught a lot of times that helps people. How many here have received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, as your Lord? Okay, let me ask you another question. How many have consciously, on purpose, received Jesus Christ as your healer and the one that keeps you healthy. Amen. Do you know you need to receive him as your healer too? Well, we're going to see things like that in the Word of God today, and it's really going to help you. But I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Am I in a funeral home? I don't hear any life in here. Where are you at? <laughs> Amen. We're not at a funeral. We're in a church service full of Jesus and the Spirit of God, so we can come alive a little bit. Amen. 
Amen. We just had Thanksgiving. We're coming in to celebrate the Christmas season, the birth of the birth of Jesus Christ. So we need to get a little bit excited. Matthew chapter 16. How many know that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever? And so the same things that Jesus would say here in the Gospels, he'd be saying today. How many know that people are the same too? People are people. The devil's the devil. Spiritual things are spiritual things. And we're the ones, just like the people back then, have to have to ourselves determine who Jesus is to us. And we need questions we've got to answer about our own lives. And you know, I was thinking about something. This, this is Pastor, I went to Big Bear. We do every, we do every year, uh, in November, October, November, seeking about the coming year, about the direction for the church and things like that. And he said something to me. I wrote down my journal up there. And I'm thinking about now as we look at this that I never thought of before. He told me to stop and look at myself and ask myself the question, what does God see when he looks at me? And then he said, ask yourself another question. What do your peers of the ministry see when they look at you? And then he said, ask yourself another question. What does the congregation see when they look at you? And then the last question he asked was this. So what do you see when you look at you? And so I'll tell you what, I've given that some deep thoughts since then. And I've done some praying. I've looked at myself and thought, wow, what does God see? What do other preachers see? What does my congregation see when they look at me? And think about your own life. And then you've got to stop and think about yourself. What do you see when you look at yourself? We've always got to look at ourselves through the eyes of the Word of God. It's what God says, what the Word of God says about us. That's what counts. And we need to change our focus and our thoughts about ourselves to start lining up the Word of God. Does God see you as a loser? Or does God see you as somebody in Christ that can do all things? That can have what you say. That has His healing power in your hands. You can pray for people and they get healed. That has the mind of Christ where you think the thoughts of God. That are cleansed from sin and unrighteousness through the blood of Jesus. What do you see? And so we need to start adjusting our thinking and ask ourselves some questions sometimes. Jesus asks us questions. That's what we're getting ready to see right here. That that's what Jesus did. Jesus always wants to provoke us to think different, to think out of the box. And so in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, it says, When Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea of Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, that I, the Son of Man, am? He said, who do people say that I am? And so, you know, he knows, you notice that he called himself the Son of Man. Well, we as believers that have been taught the Bible, we should know from the Bible that God was all man. Jesus was all man. He was also all God. He was God that come to live in an earth suit. He was God that come to earth to live in a physical body. He was God, but he was man. And so he came down here and Jesus identified himself as a man because he wanted people to see how a man full of God could live. I want to say it again. Jesus wanted us to see how a human being filled up with God's spirit could live. Jesus rebuked the storms. 
Jesus healed the sick. He cast out devils. He cleansed the lepers. He raised the dead. Jesus forgave people that were killed with him. As he hung on the cross, he said, forgive them. And then Jesus told us in John chapter 14, verse 12, he said, the works that I do, shall you do also. And then Jesus told us in John chapter 14, he says, the Father in me, he doeth the works. And so when we become born again Christians, the same Holy Spirit, there's not a different Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that indwelt Jesus indwells us. And so that's why Jesus said, who do they say I, the Son of Man, am? And so he said, I'm a human being, but I'm full of God. So who do you say you are? Are you just a loser? Are you a born-again Christian full of God? Can you do the works of Jesus? Or do you feel so stupid about yourself you can't do anything right? Amen. And so Jesus asked these guys a question. He said, who do people say I, the Son of Man, am? And so then verse 14 says, and they said, some people say that you're John the Baptist. Some you say you're Elijah. Others you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And so from that verse there, just like today, it depends on who you are and what your background is of who you say Jesus is. You know, uh, you know the Muslims don't deny that Jesus Christ was a real person? Did you know that? Muslims, Hindus, all the other religions acknowledge that Jesus Christ is real. But they don't say Jesus Christ was the Son of God. That Jesus Christ died for the sins of mankind. They say Jesus Christ was a teacher. That Jesus Christ was a prophet. That's who they say he is. And so it depends on who you ask, what they're going to say. But the main thing is, for us as Christians, we need to answer that question for ourselves. Amen. We're talking about the Christmas season. We're going to be talking about, we always talk about Jesus, but we're really going to be talking some great things about him this month. And so from a human perspective, people have a lot of opinions about who Jesus is or who he was. And see, other religions say that Jesus was, but the Bible, Bible says Jesus is. Says Jesus is at the right hand of the Father making intercession. Says Jesus is the same. Yesterday and forever. Says Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the light. Not Jesus was. Jesus is. And so a lot of people from different perspectives say, oh, we know who Jesus was. Jesus was a man the Bible talks about. Well, the Bible talks about Jesus, but the Bible's a living word. And Jesus is alive today. And so anyway, I want you to keep notice that in verse 15, he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? He said, Who do you say that I am? And so for you fill the blanks there on your sheet there, see that first one there where it's blank? Put your name in that blank. Whatever your name is, put your name in that blank, because this question's for you. And so mine, I put Bernie, because that's my name. And so whatever your name is, put that blank, and then who do you say? Bernie Samples, who do you say that Jesus Christ is? Who do you say that he is? And so you fill in that blank because whatever you believe and say that Jesus is and what he can do for you, that's what Jesus can do for you. If you don't believe that Jesus still fills people with the Holy Spirit today where they speak in tongues, you'll never do that. If you don't believe that Jesus delivers demon-possessed people 
or people from addictions and things they can't break loose from, alcoholisms, drug addiction, whatever it is, got a stronghold on you. If you don't believe that Jesus can do that, they'll never be able to do it for you. That doesn't mean that, that he's not the deliverer. That means that you hinder him by what you believe he is. I want to say that again. Whom you say Jesus is, that's who he is. I'm so grateful that last year I said that Jesus is my healer from stage four blood cancer. I'm glad that last year I could say from my heart, Jesus is the one that heals from heart attacks. When I had 99% blockage, Jesus raised me off the deathbed last year because I believed in my heart. And I said, Jesus is not only the Holy Ghost baptizer, he's not only the one that receives my tithe and blesses it, but he's the one that heals my physical body. That's who Jesus is to me. So I filled that blank and said, Jesus is my healer. Jesus is my deliverer. Jesus is my everything. That's who Jesus is to me. And so Jesus said, who do you say he is? And you know, in your life, let me tell you something. When you're dealing with a serious problem in your life, it might be a financial problem. And it might be something, some money problem so big that you can't even say the number because you owe so much money, you got hit with such a debt like that. And then you say, well, I know God can do everything, but. When you said but, you said Jesus is not the one to get me out of this debt. When you said but. Because you brought him down to a human level where he looked at you and what you could do. Would you say the same Jesus that said Lazarus come forth, the same Jesus that fed all those thousands of people with a few little fishes and loaves and multiplied those fishes and loaves, the same Jesus that was there when Moses raised the rod and parted the Red Sea, would you say that Jesus can't deliver me from this financial bondage that you brought him down to a human level and you stopped him right there? Do you say Jesus is your financial miracle worker? I want to say that again. Jesus, from the Word of God, is still the same today as he was in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus asked his own disciples of walking close to him. He said, now that's what other people say. He said, what do you say about me? Who do you say I am? What do you say I can do? Do you say he can restore your broken marriage? Do you say he can bring your children back? From that horrible walk they're walking right now. They walked away from you. They walked away from God. They cursed you. They cursed God. Do you say that Jesus is able to reach them where they are? What do you say about him? You know, I'm talking about real things of the word of God today for us as believers. What you believe about Jesus will determine everything he can do for you. Jesus can do anything and everything except override your will. He gave you a will. And with your will, you can will to believe him for everything the Bible says. Or you can will to have doubt about what the Bible says. It's totally up to us as human beings. But I think about that question there. That's such a serious question. Who do you say that he is? And so then look at verse 16 and verse 17. It says, and then Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He took it from being the Son of Man to being the Son of the Living God as Christ the Messiah, the Deliverer, the one that's been prophesied through all the Old Testament books that was coming. He said, I know who you are. He said, you're Christ. You're the Son of the Living God. 
And then Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed are thou, Sovereign Marjona. Now look at this. And here's what this whole message is going to revolve around today. He said, Flesh and blood hath not revealed. That word revealed right there is our key word. Hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. He's the one that revealed this unto you. And so there's a difference between head knowledge and revelation knowledge. Revelation knowledge is spiritual revelation from God right to your human spirit. How many know there's a difference between your brain and your spiritual heart? When we got born again, we become a new creature in Christ. When we got born again, we received eternal life in our spirit. And in our spirit, instantly, we were changed from a child of the devil to a child of God. Instantly. But then Romans 12, 2 says that we're supposed to have our minds transformed by the Word of God and start changing and thinking in line with the Word of God. And so there's head knowledge and there's a revelation knowledge to our heart. You know, uh, a lot of us knew for years and years and years and years about Jesus. You know, basically, well, I know I, I come from a different generation. We're a few generations back now. But back in the 50s, I don't think anybody in America ever knew about Jesus. Back in the 50s, America was a church nation. Back in the 50s, back in the early 60s, before things really started going goofy, businesses were not open on Sunday. You couldn't hardly buy gas in Indiana on a Sunday back in the 50s. You couldn't go to a restaurant on Sundays. They weren't open because America, back in that generation, they still honored God and Christian things. And back then, they weren't ashamed to say Merry Christmas. Back then, schools didn't have spring vacation. They had Easter vacation. Things were different back then. So what I'm saying is this. A lot of us, that generation, we knew that Jesus was real, but we didn't have revelation knowledge in our hearts. We need to receive him as Savior. And so when God lights up your heart and you all of a sudden you realize, wow, I'm lost. I need God. And the only way to heaven is through Jesus. Then when we receive that revelation, like Peter, <clears throat> like Peter received, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to us because our heads always knew about Jesus. But the Spirit of God that convicted us that we needed to receive Jesus, do something about it. And so that's what we're talking about, the difference between head knowledge, because all these other people had a head knowledge. They said, well, he's a great prophet or something like that, even his own disciples. But then Peter said, you're the Christ. You're not just a great prophet, Jesus. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus said, Peter, you didn't figure that out by yourself. God put that in your heart. And so the difference between head knowledge and revelation knowledge. Another way to look at head knowledge is to call it mental assent or mental agreement. All Christians, real Christians read their Bible, they agree we teach the Bible. Yes, what the Bible says. The Bible says I'm healed. The Bible says deliverance is mine. The Bible says I'm supposed to tithe, that God rebukes the devourer. The Bible says supposed to love and forgive. They agree with it, but until it gets in the heart as revelation knowledge, they don't act on it. We can agree the whole Bible's true, but the only part of the Bible works for you is the part you get in your heart to where you see it and you know it as God gives you revelation knowledge. And so then when you receive revelation from the Word of God on any subject, and then you act on it, then it begins to work in your life. The Bible talks about divine healing, 
deliverance. He wants your family saved. He wants your family blessed. He wants you to have a job that you really love. He wants you to have a job that's not a, a drudge, a drudge or a, a drudgery or drudge to go into. He wants you to have a job where you actually enjoy coming into it. I know that for me, when I came to California, what I'm, what I'm doing, this is not a job. This is not a profession, what I'm doing. The world calls it a profession. This is a calling. It's a gift from God. When I came to California from Indiana, I'd pastored for years back in Indiana, and they didn't even set me a salary out here until I'd been here two or three weeks. And I was so happy to be out here. I wasn't rich, wasn't loaded about it, didn't have a lot of money, but I said, hey, I would pay you guys just let me be here. Because I love doing what I'm doing. But it wasn't just preaching I was that way. When I was a truck driver, a Christian truck driver, I loved driving trucks. I loved my job. And so God, from the Word of God, teaches us. He wants us to love our jobs. And just because that's in the Bible says that, doesn't mean it works for you until it becomes real in your heart to you. And then when you begin to see that your job's a blessing from God, you'll quit cursing it. And you'll start thanking Him. And you know, this is a bunny trail for somebody, so I have to stay on it until we get done. And so on your job, on your job, it's like everything else in life. That you're going to have good days, you're going to have bad days. But the main thing is, is how are you in your heart about it? And you know, it's just like, you know, I, 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 I'm not thinking about it in our church right now, but I know I run across people that are on their fifth or sixth job, tenth job since I've known them in the few years I've been here. And you know, the bad thing about it, everywhere they go, they got a bad boss. Everywhere they go, there's people who don't like them. And you know, when I get to speak the truth and love to them, when I say, what's the common denominator of all these jobs? I don't know. Well, go look in the mirror. That's just like the one that's on their fifth husband or their fifth wife. And now they say, now the pastor pray for me. What I'm with another jerk too. What's the common denominator? Go look in the mirror. Well, you know what? I can't stand this barstow. I gotta get out of barstow. I hate barstow. I've gotta move so far. I gotta move. I gotta, I gotta get here. Well, you know what the bad thing about it? It wasn't Barstow. When you moved, you showed up again. And when you showed up again, because you don't like you, trouble showed up again. I don't like Nashville. I can't stand that. i got to get out of Nashville. Boy, I wish I could get back to Barstow. Well, until you change, you're going to keep showing up. Every time you show up, trouble shows up. I'm doing better preaching than you are shouting. Amen. Amen. And so God wants you blessed. He wants you to have and enjoy life. And so when you see these things in the Bible about faith, faith doesn't deny things. Faith changes things. So when you hit hard places in life, instead of quitting, you need to use your faith to change it. You know, oh, I can't get away with the job thing. Let, let me just help somebody on this job thing, because there's probably people here right now wanting to quit. On your job, stop and reflect. Number one, did you pray about that job and God gave it to you? You testified. Most of you this year is going to say, yes, I used my faith to get that. I rebuked the devil to take his hands off my job. I paid tithes and believed God for this job and God gave me that job. Then why are you going to let the devil steal your job? Why don't you use your faith 
That's to let the devil run you off. Why don't you use your faith to run the devil off? Amen. I want to say that again. If God gave you that job, or the same thing applies to your marriage. If you pray for that husband, that wife you got, why are you going to let the devil steal it? Amen. Faith is in the Bible. Faith gets in your heart. Faith is released out of your words. Faith is expressed through your actions. And so, receive revelation knowledge of the Word of God that you have faith from God and that your faith will work for you. Amen? We're going to look how to do that out of the Bible, but the thing is, we as Christians have to know the Bible is real, not just in our heads, but we're going to see how to get it in our hearts. Amen. And that's, that's, that's where the results come from. That's where the growth comes from. So anyway, the Bible tells us all these things, but for you to benefit from the promises of God, you need revelation knowledge. You need revelation knowledge. It needs to move from your head to your heart. And we're going to show you how that takes place. And anyway, when you receive revelation knowledge, you still have to act on it with your words, your conduct, and your lifestyle. Just because something becomes real to you in your heart, until you begin to speak it and begin to act on it, it's still not going to work for you. You've got to put action to it. And so I want you to go to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. And I'll show you some really good real life examples of how this works. <clears throat> in Luke 24, Jesus has already been resurrected from the dead. And this particular part right here, a couple of disciples begin to met him, didn't know who he was. And so they were walking with him. And these disciples had seen him when he walked the earth. They'd seen him before he'd been crucified, but they didn't recognize him. So they're walking with him. They even ate with him. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> and verse 30 says, And it came to pass, as he said at meat and food with them, he took bread and blessed it and break and gave to them. And look at this. And their eyes were opened and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. Their eyes were opened, and they knew him. And so, these men had been with Jesus when he walked the streets of Galilee, when he did the things. That they'd been in the crowds. They'd watched him. They'd seen him. They'd heard him, they'd heard him teach and say things. Here he is resurrected, and they were close to Jesus, but they didn't even know him. And then it says, their eyes were open. In other words, things were revealed to them spiritually. Then they recognized, this is Jesus. And so, I want to say this. Now listen to this, what I'm going to say. You can go to Sunday school all your life. You can live in a Christian home. You can be around church people all the time and still not know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. You know, I heard somebody say one time, I thought it was pretty goofy, but I think I think there's truth in it. You can stand in the middle of your garage and say, I'm a car. That doesn't make you a car. You can go to church and even get water baptized and take communion and carry a Bible and give testimonies. That doesn't make you a Christian. You become a Christian because you see in your heart that you need a Savior. Being a good person doesn't make you a Christian. You become a Christian 
Because you asked Jesus to forgive you your sins. You talk to God and you say, I believe that Jesus is your son. He died for my sins. You raised him from the dead and I need Jesus to be my Savior. And when you do that, then Jesus comes into your heart and then you still go to church. You still read your Bible. You still testify. But Jesus moved from the outside to the inside. When he moves on the inside, then that's when you have real change. Amen. Go ahead and clap. Robert's getting excited. (laughs) Amen. And so, I want you to see, we're talking about revelation knowledge. He told Peter, he said, hey, your head didn't tell you that. Said your Father in heaven revealed that to you. Now these disciples, hanging around Jesus all the time, <clears throat> the other disciples, they still didn't know him. It says that their eyes were opened. And so I've seen that happen so many times. Think about a guy back in Indiana. I call him Nick the Greek. Because his name was Nick and he was a Greek. Anyway, his wife, his wife was a born-again Christian lady, and Nick was an Orthodox Greek. And I'm not saying anything at all or get in trouble with any Orthodox Greeks or anything like that. But I'm just thinking about this story, how real it is to me. She came to our church for a while and started bringing her husband, but he was really, really, really Orthodox Greek. That's all he would go to is Orthodox Greek. But anyway, he decided to start coming to church on Sunday mornings with his wife, so they came for, they came to our church for quite a while. And one, one Sunday morning, I was teaching on born again. You must be born again. And when I taught on being born again that day, Nick come up the altar and he got saved. And I thought, man, I thought he was saved. And so I thought, and I, and I prayed, I said, Lord, did I never teach on born again for as long as he's been coming here? And the Lord had me go back to my sermon notes. And I found three years before that, I was teaching on born again, and I happened to make a note at the top of my lesson that day. I wrote, Ann's husband Nick came today. I thought, man, the very first time he walked in the church, I was teaching born again. I taught born again many times for those three years, but all of a sudden that day, Nick the Greek was sitting there, and his eyes lit up, and he came up and said, I need to be born again. And so he'd sit in that church for three years, like this church, all the times we talk about salvation the blood of Jesus, took communion, all the things we did, and all of a sudden that day his eyes were open, where he saw that he needed Jesus. So there may be people here today. You might be sitting here today and think, I've been coming here for a long time. I'm a church person just like these other people are. Well, i got the news for you. Most people here aren't church people, the born-again Christians that go to church. Yes. And there's a difference between a church person and a born-again Christian that goes to church. Amen. I'm doing better preaching than y'all shouting. Somebody, somebody shout. Amen. Amen. And so their eyes were opened. And so then, when your spiritual eyes are opened, you will know Jesus as the living Son of God, your personal Lord and Savior, if you ask Him into your heart. Then you become born again. And so then a few verses later, <clears throat> we get down to verse 44, verse 45, and then He's going from where he's talking to the disciples that were not his inner circle apostles, but now he's talking to the apostles. He hooked up with them. And verse 44 says, And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses, that's the Old Testament, and the prophets, and the Psalms concerning me. So he's telling them the Old Testament, the Psalms, 
the books of the Old Testament said, they're all prophesied to me, talking about me. He said, that's the words that I spoke unto you while I was with you. And then look at verse 45. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. He opened their understanding. And so to become a born again child of God, your spiritual eyes must be opened by God. But then to receive spiritual understanding of the Bible, you need God to open your spiritual eyes at heart to understand his word. How many have ever been reading the Bible where you just felt like you'd bump your head against the wall thought, man, this is nothing. This is nothing. I read the Bible. I know it's the Bible, but I'm getting nothing out of this. Well, when you begin to know how to receive revelation knowledge from God, the Bible becomes alive. But all of a sudden, you see that not only is, was Jesus a healer, then all of a sudden you see Jesus is my healer. Where you'll see things like the madman of Gadara, who was in bondage to the devil, and thought, wow, Jesus delivered him. Then all of a sudden you see, wow, Jesus delivers me from bondage. Jesus delivers me from this addiction. I've never been able to get rid of this. I've had it all my life. It runs in my family. Alcoholism is just what my family does. I've tried for all these years to get rid of alcohol. I can't do it. All of a sudden, one day you see, Jesus is my deliverer. Because all of a sudden you get spiritual understanding from the Bible. The Word of God is for me. And then you'll see, then the Bible, you see the prodigal son came home. If you've been a prodigal, a person that walked away from God, walked away from your family, all of a sudden you say, wow, that was me. I'm going home. I'm tired of eating with the pigs. And then if you're the mean dad or mom or whatever you were, where the prodigal comes home, instead of lashing out at him and give him a lashing with your tongue about how horrible they are, you say, come on in. I've been waiting for you all this time, honey. Come in. Everything I have is yours. Come into my house. I love you. Let me just throw it out to you. Some of you people are believing for God to send your kids home. If you got a, if you got a dog that comes around your house and every time you kick it and hit it, is your dog going to keep putting around very long every time it comes and gets beat up? No, even dogs are smart enough to stay away from where they get hurt at. If your kids come home, Instead of condemning them, putting down on them, and tell them, this is my house, you will do this, and just unloading on them. They come home, say, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. I prayed for you. We love you. Come home. We want to help you. This is your place of safety. This is your place of love. And just be a loving parent, and you got to have discipline and rules, but if all you are is a dictator, that's why they build walls around some of these countries, because they're dictators want to keep people in. You don't have to put up those walls. Tear the walls down. Amen. Love never fails. I'm doing better preaching than you are shouting. I'm going to say it again. Well, I'll tell you what, this is, this is stepping on toes, Dad. I didn't even know it. Amen. And so your eyes need to be open to see. Your eyes need to be open to see what the Word of God has to say about love. That's what that would come down to. So anyway... Even his apostles never understood his words until he gave them revelation knowledge. Can you see that? He says, all the times he was with them, he said, he said, I told you the Psalms. He said, I talked to you in the Old Testament and they never understood. It says, then opened he their understanding. As believers, we need to use our, we need to use our faith. I'm going to show you how. We need to use our faith for God to help us understand the Bible. 
Because it's not supposed to be a mystery to us. Somebody said amen. And so, why can't people really see and know the reality of spiritual things? That's a good question. I'm glad you asked that. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're seeing some spiritual things in the Word of God today that to me, they aren't deep because I understand the Bible. I walk with God. I've asked Him to help me understand the Bible. And so, I've been able to teach the Bible, help you understand it too. And I believe today there's revelation knowledge for the people sitting in this service that was listened to us on the Internet. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 3 and verse 4, Paul said this by the Holy Spirit. But if our gospel be hid, if our gospel be hid, or if our, our gospel is where people can't understand it, is hid to them that are lost. Now look at this. In whom the God of this world, do you notice that small g? Can I talk to the Facebook people for a second? I don't look at Facebook very much. I guess one reason is I don't like to see some of the goofy stuff you put on there. But do you notice that small G right there? You know, I just don't know if this is a modern education system. The kids just don't get it. But there's a difference between a small G and a big G. When the Bible's talking about our God, there's a big G. When it's talking about Satan, there's a little G. Calls him the God of this world. Do me a big favor. Do yourself a big favor. Next time you put on Facebook, I love God, don't put a little G anymore. Start putting a big G. Amen. Next time you put on Facebook, God bless you, make it a big G. Because the little G, Satan, the God of this world, is not going to bless them. He's going to curse them. So when you put on Facebook, little G, you're already talking about my God. Talk about the other God. Is it in the Bible? Does it say the God of this world? Somebody said, somebody said, well, I thought God was the God of this world. God is the God of the people that receive him as their God. Up to this point in time, until the end of the church age, Satan's the God of this world. He became the God of this world when Adam and Eve sinned and gave him permission to come into this world. And then when Jesus came into this world, Jesus bought us back from the God of this world. That's why it's called redeemed. Has anybody here ever redeemed anything? You know, I know we don't have SNA stamps or yellow stamps anymore or pop bottles we take back like we used to. But we used to redeem things at the store. That means they bought it back. God, through the blood of Jesus, bought us back from the God of this world. Satan came into this world in the Garden of Eden. He took over the human race. Then Jesus came to redeem us from Satan. He bought us back. And so, the God of this world, that little G, he's the one that influences people this world. He's the one that makes alcoholics. He's the one that makes people perverts. He's the one that's behind murder. He's the one behind the bad things. So there's a difference between the God of this world and the God of our world. And so you see that. And so he says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And so Satan puts spiritual blinders on people, and without God's help, they'll never see spiritual truth. That's the same thing with Christians. That's why so many times 
There's Christians that don't believe in speaking in tongues. There's Christians that don't believe in tithing. There's Christians that don't believe in a lot of things that the Bible says to do because they've been blinded. And we've got to be able to let the truth of God's Word come in and take the blinders off. Plus, we pray for blinders to come off. I know in my life, I'm smart enough to know this. If I've seen other people that are spiritual people be blinded to spiritual truth, I'm not so dumb I think I can't be blinded too. And so I'm open, and I pray for God to open my eyes to see things I need to see. You know, I'll give you an example. Back when uh, David was a cripple, he, he used to be crippled, had leukemia when he was little. And when he was crippled, couldn't walk, and he had leukemia, he was going through a lot of painful things at the hospital. And I, and I, I was already a Bible teacher. I knew the Bible pretty well back then. But anyway, in Matthew eighteen nineteen, the Bible says, that if any two on earth shall agree as touched anything, Jesus said this, as touched anything that shall agree upon, said, my Father in heaven will bring it to pass. Said, if any two shall agree, my Father in heaven will bring it to pass. Well, when he was in the hospital back in Indianapolis, I had my faith out there that he wouldn't die, that he'd live. I had my faith out there that my son would be healed from being a cripple, and he'd walk and he'd live and all those kind of things. But they had these great big needles to me. They looked as big as a spike nail. They did a spinal tap on him. I had a spinal tap when I had that cancer in my blood last year. It wasn't anything at all to be what they did back then. Because with his little three-and-a-half-year-old kid, and they did this spinal tap, it was horrible what I saw him do to him. And the pain was just so wretched for a little kid to do that. I mean, it's like, like he's going to die through what they was doing to him. So anyway, I had this really good uh, friend of mine come to the hospital, and he said, Bernie, what can I pray for you? What can I agree about for, for, for David? And I said, Gary... I said, to be honest with you, I said, I don't have a problem with his healing. I said, I got his healing to take care of. My faith has got his healing. I said, I've got, I said, he's healed. At that time, he's in the room in the hospital, had all these plugs and monitors all around the room and all kinds of stuff on him like that. And I, I, blo- I blocked those out because all I saw was healing in his body. I said, but Gary, I said, I'll tell you one thing if you can pray for it. I said, all my faith is spent to get him healed of leukemia. I said, but I said, I can't stand the pain he's going through to give him that needle. I said, I can't take that. I said, if you can handle that, I said, I got this covered. He said, well, I'll tell you what. He pulled out his little Bible, Matthew 18, 19. He says, if any two of you shall agree on earth, anything that shall ask of the by our Father in heaven. I said, okay, Gary, I'm glad you got faith there. I said, wait a minute. He said, if any two of you shall agree on earth, shall be done by our Father in heaven. He kept on reading that. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, when he said, be done by our Father in heaven, the light came on, and my faith was in my friend's faith that the Father was going to do it. And so I shifted from trying to pull that one through with my own faith. I received revelation knowledge on the prayer of agreement that day, and I'd taught that verse for years. I'd read that verse for years. I quoted it inside and out, but all of a sudden that day, I'd been blinded to what that verse really said. In other words... Like when you come up to this prayer line sometimes, when I ask you, when you tell me what you're praying for, I say, okay, now listen, I'm going to pray. Do you agree with me? Well, see, we come out of your faith then, and your faith hooked up with my faith in God. And you hooked up with my faith. Your faith wasn't, because you may not have been the place you believe in God for it. You hooked up with me, though, that I could believe him. And when you did, we got that for you. 
And so that day, listen to what I'm talking about. I'm talking about your minds are blinded till you see. Revelation knowledge we're talking about. Revelation knowledge, all of a sudden, your heart sees it. Your head knows it, because my head knew that verse. I'd use that verse how many times over the years? I don't know. Taught it, used it. I'd used it, but all of a sudden the light came on. Revelation knowledge, my understanding was open. So I said, oh, wow, Gary, I see it. And I said this, I said, Gary, do you have faith? He won't feel pain when that needle comes into him. Gary said, Bernie, I'll tell you this, I've got absolute faith. When I pray, he won't feel pain anymore. I said, okay, Gary, I don't have faith for that, but i got faith that you got. I'm agreeing with you. Our Father in Heaven will do that. You know what happened? This is the gospel truth. My wife could testify. If you talk to the nurses, doctors out in the air, they'll testify. And he's testified to it lots of times. They went to give that needle to him. You know what he did? He started laughing every time. He was a little kid. It wasn't mind over matter. He didn't know how to fake it. They go to touch that to him, and they didn't know what to do with him. He started laughing. Woo, that tickles. They'd do blood draws on him for years. He never felt a needle, never felt pain. And after he, after he was becoming probably in his teenage years, I started getting concerned because he didn't feel pain about anything. He never felt pain. I thought, wow, this is really probably not be good now. If something happens, he gets hurt. How's he know he's going to be hurt? How's he going to know danger? What happens if he touches something hot? What's, he, what's going to happen? And how were you starting feeling pain, David? Yeah, he said from the doctor, from the doctors, never did feel it. I guess you might, let me get, let me go get you one of those shots I got last year. You might feel it too. <laughs> but no, you see what I'm saying? My faith was in that verse went from my head to my heart where I agreed with the man praying it and it worked. And so I'm saying this, there might be things in the Bible that you hear this t- church teach like tithing. And your head might agree with it, but when it jumps from your head to your heart, you'll be a person that tithes because you really believe that God rebuked the devourer for you. You really believe you'll go to another level of blessing when he opens the windows of heaven. You'll start seeing that. Amen. I want to say it again, no better preacher than you are shouting. Yes, anyway, Satan puts blinders on people. Satan puts blinders on people. You need God's help to get them off. So now, here's what I want to focus the last few minutes on. How to pray for yourself and others to really know who is Jesus. In other words, revelation knowledge on Jesus and the Word of God. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And that's our whole question today we're talking about. Who is Jesus? Who's the Bible say He is? And how much the Bible is revealed to you in your heart that you know He is? That's what, you know, you know the first part of knowledge is K-N-O-W? And so knowledge means that you K-N-O-W something, and you don't just know it, but you believe it. And, you know, I think about... Uh, how many here ever learned the math table when you were in high school or in grade school that you started you start taking more math? Anybody here know how to count? Has anybody here ever tried to balance a checkbook? What's a checkbook? We do our stuff on the computer. Well, it might be good to learn, start learning how to count. But anyway, 
how many, if you are my generation, and like I went to the bank the other day, I said, the Casamore checkbook registers, I'm probably a dying breed that still actually writes down what's going on. And I've got to do computer stuff too, but I still like to have my own writing, what's going on, keep my own ledger, and I want to know what's in my account. I want to figure it, know what's good. Anyway, checkbook ledger. Well, I trust that when I have a 10, I take one away, I still got nine. I trust that if I'm doing my checkbook register and it says I got $1,000, I just spent $100, I've got $900. I trust the math table that it works. That's been revealed to me that 2 plus 2 still equals 4. 4 times 4 is always going to give me 16. And so, to me, it's real from the Word of God that when I pray to somebody, according to Romans 10, 9, and 10, if they believe in their heart, confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, He died for their sins, they ask Him in, that I believe, because I have revelation knowledge, the new birth is real. They become born-again Christians. I believe that if somebody comes into this prayer line, they want me to pray for them. That when Mark 16 says, Believers lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Just as surely as two times two still equals four, lay hands on the sick in the name of Jesus, they still get healed. That's real to me. I believe that every time I get a paycheck and I see what my paycheck is and I write out 10% and I make it out to Jesus, except my local church is his clearinghouse where I'm at. His clearinghouse where I'm at is High Desert Word Center. If you're at the Baptist Church, it's your Baptist Church. If you're at the Methodist Church, it's your Methodist Church. Churches are His clearinghouse. He receives the tithe. And so it's real to me that when I write out a 10% check and give it to God, God says, my windows are open on your life. My blessings on your life. I rebuke the devourer for you. People are seeing you, calling you blessed. That's why I do what I do, because I have revelation knowledge that tithe is not just something that's in the Bible. Tithing's in my heart. Praying for the sick's in my heart. Casting out demons is in my heart. Love and forgiveness is in my heart. These things are revelation knowledge to me that when Jesus said, if you don't forgive, your Father can't forgive you. He didn't say your Father wouldn't. He said he couldn't. It's a spiritual law because the Bible teaches the spiritual laws is you reap what you sow. So if you're continually sowing unforgiveness, you're going to reap unforgiveness. If you're sowing forgiveness, you reap forgiveness. And so there's things that are real to me I cannot afford to hold unforgiveness against anybody. Not for their sake, for my sake. I need forgiveness too many times. I'm talking about revelation knowledge. So I want to show you how to pray for yourself and open the door for revelation knowledge in every area of life. Ephesians 1, verse 16 to 23. I'm going to show you how how I pray this. But also I want to say this. Just get a hold of something I'm going to tell you about. Sometimes people know how to study the Bible. The Old Testament was written primarily to the Jews and to the lost. Because Jesus wasn't revealed yet. Talked about who was coming. And then the Gospels, it was Jesus why he walked on the earth. And he primarily talked to the Jews still. But then the Epistles is the only part of the Bible written to born-again believers. 
Why is that? Well, in the Old Testament, it told what was going to happen. It hadn't happened yet. In the Gospels, he demonstrated who he was, but he hadn't died yet. In the Epistles, he was raised from the dead. And then people would become born again because he was raised from the dead. So the Spirit of God then, in the Epistles, is talking to people that have the Spirit of God in them now. And so the Epistles tell us who we are, what we can have, and what we can do because of who lives in us. And so we, as believers, we don't need to ignore the Old Testament or the Gospels. We love them, we feed on them. But we need to really have a steady diet of what the epistles have to say because that tells us who we are today and what we can do. And so Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16, Paul said, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. He's talking New Testament believers. And so he says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation Talk about revelation knowledge in the knowledge of him. Revelation knowledge. And so he says, I'm praying for you to receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And so for this prayer right here, this is one of the best prayers you can pray for yourself. And if you know Christians that are having a hard time growing up spiritually, Christians that are still living so carnal because they really don't know who they are yet, you need to start praying for God to give them the spirit of wisdom, revelation, and the knowledge of Him. Can't you see what I'm saying? That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, who do you say I am? Well, once you begin, and you catch the I am, the great I am. Who do you say I am? He's the great I am. And so, the Holy Spirit through Paul says we're, we're, we're to pray for ourselves and pray for others for the spirit of wisdom, revelation, the knowledge of God. And the eyes of your understanding been enlightened. Remember he opened their eyes? He says for their eyes to be opened. Remember Satan has their eyes blinded? You got physical eyes, you got spiritual eyes. And when you see Christians that all they want to do is debate, and bicker, and fight about what the Bible has to say, their eyes need to be open to see. The Bible didn't talk about we're supposed to debate the Bible. The Bible says we're supposed to love, and we're supposed to preach the gospel to every creature, not fight Christians. You know, there's, there, there's people today that carry the title of Christian minister that think their job is to go on TV and fight other Christians about the Bible, what they believe. That's not the Bible. We need to pray for their eyes to be open. And, you know, I think about a while back, I went and ran into a guy at a local uh, restaurant in town that uh, I didn't really know him, but he come talk to me, found out I was the pastor here. And the guy told me, said, I really want to meet with you to be able to debate the Bible with you, et cetera, et cetera. I said, where do you go to church at? Oh, I don't believe you have to go to church to be a Christian. And I thought, well, El Jerko, you're not going to debate the Bible with me because you're stupid. You don't know the basic revelation of the New Testament. Jesus Christ is the head of the? He's coming back for the? Amen. He sent apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers in? The church. And so you're telling me you want to make the Bible with me? And you don't even believe in church? We don't have anything to talk about. 
<laughs> Praise the Lord. Anyway, eyes of understanding have been enlightened that you may know, and there's the know again from Revelation knowledge, was the hope of his calling, what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. You need your eyes open to see your inheritance. Your inheritance. Your inheritance. God supplies all of your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Your inheritance is your needs are met. Your eyes need to be open to see that. You know, if your eyes are open to see that God's already met your needs according to his riches in glory, that takes care of your tithing issue. That takes care of your stingy issue. That takes care of your be afraid to take this job issue. That changes everything. You recognize God's your source. But that has to be real to you. And was the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe. You need to know that God's power is greater than anything ever comes against you. But see what he's talking about right here? Your eyes open to see the greatness of his power. He says to us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. And so this verse right here, this prayer, he's telling you the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the same power that's available to you and works in you. That needs to be real to you. And this is what we're talking about, revelation knowledge. Remember that Jesus told Peter, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, my Father revealed this to you. It needs to be revealed in you that these people around you, when you come whining and crying, oh, 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 these people on my job, they're awful, so full of the devil. Well, you're full of the power of God. You've got the name of Jesus. Jesus said in Luke 10, 19, He gives you power over all the power of the enemy. Nothing hurts you. Well, pastor, my family's just full of the devil, full of the devil. I used to be full of the devil too. I'm delivered. Now I'm full of the power of God. I can help my family. Amen. Now listen to what I'm saying for the Word of God. Jesus in Luke 24 says he opened their understanding to see the Word. You need to be praying for God. We talk about all these things in this church. This church ought to be everybody tongue talkers. This church ought to be everybody tithers. This church ought to be everybody evangelist preaching the gospel. When your eyes are open to see, and I think about some of you business people, looking at Nadine over there, the super house seller. I mean, this woman preaches the gospel everywhere she goes to all these people. She gets all these clients and people that she sees. And she knows what she's got and she shares the gospel. And you know, I, I, I just look out at the different, at the different ones of you out here. This is real to you that the what in you is what they need. It's real to you that greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. It's real to you you've got authority over the devil. It's real to you your love never fails. That's why you walk in it. And as we're looking at this prayer, as we're looking at this as we're closing right now, see, our question is, who is Jesus? What we're seeing right here, when revelation knowledge comes to Jesus, even the Word of God, the Bible changed from the Bible to the living truth, to the living Word. And it changes you. It says, this same power is in you raised Christ from the dead. And then it says, same in the heavenly basis. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named in this world. 
not on this world, but also that which has come, put all things under his feet, gave him to be head over all things to the what? To the church, which is his body, where his body, where his church, the falls him that fills all in all. And so this prayer here tells us that everything there is, is under his feet. And we're part of his body, so even if you're the feet, if you're the soles of the feet, so there are things under your feet. And so that tells me right here that we as Christians, who is Jesus? I just want to close with what Isaiah said. You need to see what Isaiah saw. Isaiah chapter 9, and this is what we're, Isaiah saw this, and now we're living in the times that this actually took place. And so, who is Jesus? Revelation knowledge will show this to you. Isaiah 9, verse 6 and verse 7. And this is prophesied 600 years before Jesus actually came. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful. Who is Jesus? He's Wonderful. Counselor. Who is Jesus? He's Counselor. Who is Jesus? He's the Mighty God. Who is Jesus? He's the Everlasting Father. Who is Jesus? He's the Prince of Peace. Who is Jesus? He's the Healer. He's the Savior. He's Financier. Who is Jesus? Any problem you have, minor or major, who is Jesus? He's the answer. Of the increase of His government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom and to order it, to establish his justice, judgment, from henceforth and forever. Zeal, the Lord holds, perform this. And so, this won't just be a verse on a Christmas card to you anymore, but you'll say if Isaiah, that's who my Jesus is. My Jesus is everything. My Jesus is God. My Jesus is mighty. And that song we sing, he's our miracle worker. Amen. He's our peace. He's our covenant enforcer. Everything that he is, that's who Jesus is. And so, for we as Christians, we can stand up. Jesus is everything the Bible says he is, but he becomes that to you as you receive revelation knowledge from the Father. And so, I just want to leave this with you today. Start praying that prayer of Ephesians chapter 1, and as you begin... To read your Bible, instead of having a dry, dead, drudgery Bible reading you go to, just say, i got to check off these verses, I read them. Start taking the time to stop. Do your Bible studies, but do what I do. i got my Bible things, I do like that. Then i got my quiet time, I do between me and Him. And I say, Father, now what do you personally want to speak to my heart? And when I read it, I say, Lord, please open my eyes so I can see this. I want this to be real to me like it's real to Brother Hagen. I want it to be real to me like it is to whoever your favorite preacher is. Jesus, I want this to be real to me. Give me revelation, Jesus. As you start doing that, you're going to be able to tell people who Jesus really is. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.